0: Just Our Real Estate, episode number 332. Everything else would take care of itself, but you have to have action. And action is based on belief. You know, doubt cramps energy. <laughs>
1: All right, guys. Thank you for joining me here on Just Our Real Estate. I am so excited to be here with you today, talking real estate and getting into some awesome, awesome conversations with great people. But before I do, guys, there's something I want to talk to you about. And this is very serious. I am asked all the time, probably the number one question that I'm asked by new investors and experienced investors alike is, what has made the biggest difference in your business over the last... Seven or eight years that you've been involved in real estate, how did you go from a start, you know, just starting out and being a beginner to actually ramping up your business to be a multi million dollar business? And you know, I get the question a lot, so I have a lot of time to think about it, and I'm thinking about it a lot. I can honestly say there were really two things that made the biggest difference in my business and really in my life. And the first one was that I, I needed help. right? I didn't know everything. I thought I could do it on my own. I struggled for a number of years trying to do this business all on my own. I figured I am a reasonably intelligent person. Maybe not the smartest guy in the world, but I am reasonably intelligent. I should be able to do this on my own. I can figure it out. All the information is out there. I don't need any help. And boy, was I wrong. What there, what happened was I put in a glass ceiling above me. I really put a limit on what I could do because I couldn't do anything more than I already knew or had the capacity to learn all on my own. And yeah, maybe over the course of an, you know, maybe two, uh, double or triple or quadruple the amount of years I had been involved, maybe at some point I would have figured it out. But honestly, guys, the biggest thing that has changed my business. In the last two to three years, and I've been doing this podcast now for about, uh, I think we're going on four and a half, five years. Even from when I started this podcast, I have had a tremendous and dramatic increase in, in my business growth. And it's all been due to really one core idea. I needed help. I needed someone to help me get past the artificial barriers and the glass ceiling that was above my head. And what did that was coaching. I got to tell you, I was not a big fan of coaching early on. But now that I've seen what it has done for my business, I am a huge fan of coaching. I am convinced that there's no way for a person to take their business and grow it exponentially based only on their own you know experience right eventually you will grow right but i'm talking about exp- exponential growth rapid growth getting from 0 to 100 you know in in light speed kind of a thing everyone can get to their goal eventually but to be honest with you coaching does more than just tell you what to do and what not to do Coaching, good coaching will give you a roadmap to where you want to go. So even if you're going a million miles an hour, it's tough to grow. It's tough to get to your destination without a map that shows you how to get there. And the best coaching will not only hold you accountable and encourage you and give you tools, that coaching will also provide a roadmap of how to get to from where you are to where you wanna be. And that is the number one thing that has changed my life and my business. The other things that came from coaching was learning how to create systems and processes and people in order to grow my business quickly but also responsibly and successfully, guys. So I'm telling you, if you wanna grow your business in 2017 and beyond, there is really no other option that, that you can really turn to that's going to give you the same results as coaching. If you want to know more about the coaching that I got, or coaching in general, or whether or not your business is ready for that next level, and coaching is the answer, you can reach out to me. There is a, a link on my on the website at juststartrealestate.com. On the right-hand side, it says, talk to me about education, right? Simple as that. It's not an order form. It's not a sign-up form. There's no obligation. It simply is a link that will help you set up a 15-minute phone call with me where you and I can discuss your business and decide if if coaching makes sense in your situation. Um, I, I would love to do this for you. Obviously, it takes up my personal time. But I'm willing to do that because I feel so strongly about coaching and what it can and will do for your business. So go to my website at justourrealestate.com. On the right-hand side, click on the little banner there that says, talk to me about education. I'll hop on the phone. You can schedule a time that works for both of us. I'll hop on the phone. And, and we'll talk about your business for a few minutes and see if coaching is something that would benefit you. I would love to talk, about, talk to you about it. I hope to talk to you soon. Go there, check it out. And hopefully we'll be talking very soon. All right guys, thank you for joining me here on Just Our Real Estate. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you tuning in, and I've got a treat for you today. Uh I am excited about my guests. It's we've we've kind of been going back and forth on back and forth a little bit struggling to to make this happen for various reasons, and uh it's finally on. Uh I've got on the line uh Brad Smotherman. Uh, it, it's someone who was actually introduced through Justin Williams and any, any, uh, referral or, or introduction through Justin is, uh, is a solid person as far as I'm concerned. So we're going to dig into Brad's, uh, business and kind of figure out what he's up to down there in Tennessee. Uh, but just to give you an idea of, uh, Brad's a wholesaler, uh, a rehabber, and a land developer based out of Nashville, Tennessee, which I was in Nashville just a few weeks ago. So we'll talk about that too. But uh, Brad started in real estate at the age of 18 by getting his real estate license and selling new construction. In 2010, Brad retired his real estate license and began doing investment full-time by doing sub to wraps. And we'll, we'll talk about that and let you know what that means. Now Brad enjoys buying and selling houses and working more and more toward tracked land developments, which is very cool. And I don't talk to a lot of people who do that kind of thing, so I'm, I'm excited to dig into that. Hey, man, Brad, it's it's good to have you on, buddy. Thanks. I appreciate this.
0: Hey, man, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, yeah, no problem. And it's kind of cool to find out you're, you're in Nashville. I was literally just there a few weeks ago with our 7-Figure uh, Flipping coaching program, that, what a cool town man it was a lot of fun we actually went there for this for this mastermind this three-day intensive mastermind with uh with Justin and, and Andy and the and the boys but uh I had we, me and my partner had our wives come down and we just extended it and just hung out a few days in Nashville man it was cool place to be. Very fun.
0: Well, we've had a lot of growth here, and I mean, it's becoming a really, really great city. They're actually calling it the Athens of the South, if you can believe that.
1: (laughs) Well, they have the Parthenon there, which I didn't get a chance to get to. I wanted to, but it was closed. We were going to go on the last day, and it was unfortunately closed on that day, which was a bummer. But yeah, man, it, I, I can I can see why it's cool. It's actually I heard somebody refer to it as uh, Nash Vegas. <laughs> it's it's a cool absolutely that that downtown area, man, is just it's like I joke around, but I said it's like like a bar with a live band followed by a boot store followed by a bar with a live band followed by a boot store. I was like I was there with my wife and I said I am probably going to end up buying boots while I'm here. And I I don't even know if I really need them or want them, but it seems like the thing to do when I'm walking past all these stores and they have all these deals two for one and like all this stuff. It's super cool, though. We had a great food, obviously. I mean, ate way too much, but man, what what great bands and just music playing. It's just a cool, fun environment.
0: Absolutely. You have to get the cowboy boots. It's a rite of passage in Nashville. So everybody (laughs) come to Nashville, get your cowboy boots, have a lot of fun
1: exactly exactly you need them don't don't talk yourself out of it you need them so that's awesome uh Nashville's totally cool so we can talk about that more but I want to find out I want to dig into your background a little bit um, it's always good I, I'm always curious like people get on here and say oh you know we're doing this and you know track development building new construction and we're flipping houses and, and wholesaling but I always wonder how they got to that point like what did they you know were they in, an insurance salesman before that or were they what were they doing selling cars or or some people just die like it sounds like you just dive right into real estate at a young age. But what got you into real estate to begin with? If we go back maybe even earlier than 18, why why real estate of all things?
0: Sure. And that's a great question. Um, My family had had rental property and and they were in agriculture and farming for years. So that was my background. And I, I knew really early on, I did not want to be a farmer. Okay. And so I had heard about this thing called real estate, which I had heard was an asset class that had created more millionaires than any other asset class. And so I looked at that and said, Well gosh, being a millionaire, that sounds pretty good. You know, <laughs> so let yeah. me do do that in a realm where I, I'm gonna have a higher probability of success. I I firmly believe that if you follow your passion you can do be successful in in any kind of genre. But you know, I wanted to do something. I liked real estate. I liked the idea of houses. It's tangible. It's something you can see. But you know, I wanted the idea of something that I felt like I could be successful. Because at the beginning, I really didn't believe I could do it. You know, and you know, it's one of those things that if I can steal anything to anyone, it would be to have belief in yourself. That if you have a vision, that you can accomplish that. But, uh, so I made the decision early on to get into real estate and got my license when I was 18. I worked for a builder developer and, uh, the crash hit, he ended up actually going bankrupt and I learned some good lessons there and retired my license in 2010, just to, uh, to, just to do investment because of disclosure and rules and that kind of thing. So, and that that was kind of my start.
1: That's, you know, it, it's it's kind of a uh, when you're working for somebody like that and the crash hits and they go bankrupt, it's sort of like you get to learn the lessons of that crash without having to pay the price yourself so much, right? So it's kind of bad for that person, obviously bad for that company, but kind of cool for you that you got to experience and learn those lessons without, you know devastate devastating your family but yeah you know you you hit on a great point anyone can do this business and i was just talking to someone the other day um who's who's going to be getting into our coaching program and He's like, you know, I think I can do this real estate thing. I mean, I'm a pretty smart guy. I think I can do it. I'm like, listen, I wasn't a great student. I was average. And uh, I wouldn't say I'm the smartest guy in the room all the time, but it doesn't take smart. You don't have to be smart. And frankly, there's a lot of people who succeed in this business who aren't, you know, road scholars. It's really more about tenacity and taking action and, and getting out there and just you know being willing to put yourself out there and be uncomfortable and and just kind of get the ball rolling it's really people sometimes if you know a lot it holds you back right sometimes it's better to not know what you don't know as long as you're not making crazy decisions just going out there and trying and not being worried about you know every every single detail. Uh, I think is good, and, and you don't have to be a, a road scholar to do this. I guess is the point. So, no, that's that's awesome, man. I that's that's totally cool. I wish I would have gotten into real estate when I was eighteen. That would have been really really great. But I got into it a, a little bit later in life. But so you got an eighteen. You saw the crash. You retired that real estate license. What did you do next? what What was it that? What was your plan when you retired that license exactly? how I know your plan was to invest, but how did you go about that? What was the process?
0: Right. So you know I made the decision that because I started doing marketing and when I went to these appointments, I was like, "Well, I can either list the house or buy the house. Well, guess what happened? I didn't buy many houses. So you know I, I did I had to make the decision that I'm going to be an investor or I'm going to be on my deathbed asking the doctor, if he has a house that he's hoping to sell. <laughs> and so it, it really is that decision, that hard, fast decision. And so I said, well, if I'm going to do this and go all in, I'm going to retire my license because that's how I was making income. And I actually, with a college degree, started pressure washing houses, which is what I had done in high school. So I pressure washed houses, I bought bandit signs, I put those signs out and started generating calls and then started to just try to figure out how to talk on the phone, how to go to an appointment, how to negotiate, evaluate deals. I mean, everything that we have to do day in, day out in this business. And, you know, you're not good at it at first. And I think people expect that, and I should have been, you know, this is something that I had done. I'd gone to listing appointments. I'd done all this. I should have been good at it. Well, I wasn't. So it took me, I think, eight or nine months to hit my first deal. And that was still today the best deal I've ever done because it it gave me the confidence to say, I'm an investor. This is what I do professionally. And get through that transaction. And after that, I started doing deals monthly, investing back in marketing
1: and, and scaling up from there. Totally. That's that's awesome. I agree. My first deal is my best one, too. Not because of the money, just because, man, you got to get that under your belt so you can actually say, yeah, like you said, you can say you're an investor. That's, that's huge. So what did you find back then? You started with bandit signs. And I know a lot of people use bandit signs. Some people don't. What did you find as you started to get traction? What was your better lead generating source? What 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 worked for you well back then, and and maybe even now if you're still if you're still doing that marketing? Right.
0: Well, I don't do bandit signs now, and I'm not anti bandit sign, but it just got to where in my market at least there was a time I remember getting 18 calls off of 25 signs, and it got to where I'd have to put out three or four hundred to get that same 18 calls. And part of that was the market shift. You know, the market started getting better here in 2012. And so there was less motivated sellers and that's fine. But I, I really, it was kind of a who moved my cheese moment and I had to find another way. And so I started doing direct mail about two years ago. And, and now that, I mean, we do, I'm probably the biggest mailer in Nashville and um, maybe uh, I I kind of hate to say in the entire state, but it's possible. I don't know but so we send a lot of direct mail. Care to say how many? Uh, sure. We, as of right now this year, I think we've sent 110,000.
1: As of this year. Okay. Wow. That is a lot. That's a lot of mail for sure.
0: So about, about 55,000 per month.
1: Yeah, that's huge, man. That's, that's definitely a lot of mail going out. So when you said, okay, this is more getting into like deeper numbers and we, I don't want to get too deep into this because it's interesting for some people. Some people it's like, turn it off, don't hear, don't care. But out of 50, when you get 55,000 mailers going out, on, on average, approximately. How many deals does that mean a month?
0: That's about on the low end, eight deals on up to 13, 14 deals, you know? And of course, anytime you have the bell curve, you're gonna have times when it works a lot better and, it, and times it doesn't work as well. but you know, that, that's about a good range okay.
1: of, of how many transactions that should be. Okay, cool. Awesome. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that, by the way. Not everyone will. So that, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that. So you started doing the band of signs and that was working. And then now you started doing the direct mail stuff. So I, I know you're, you're a wholesaler rehabber, you know, you're doing some, some track development, you're working going in that direction. Are you getting out of the wholesaling and rehabbing? Or are, are you trying to do all of those at the same time?
0: Well, I'm actually getting more into wholesaling and and I hate to say this publicly, but I kind of had a a disdain for wholesalers for a long time because I'm like, gosh, you know, you guys, you know, you don't have any cash, like it's not really investing. And and it got to where I was better at buying equity than I was at having the ability to really take everything down. And so it, it just kind of evolved into more of a wholesaling side of things. And that's just in the past year that I've started doing that. So, I mean, up until then I was taking everything down personally and taking it retail and I, I like the wholesale model better. And in fact, I'm getting out of rehabs completely. Um, are such a pain contractors. I'm not a good manager of, it's like, I either get mad at them and fire everyone and then I have to get a new crew and it's just, it's not <laughs> worth it. I would rather take yeah. like the fast dime as opposed to the slow dollar and and definitely recommend
1: doing that. Dude, we, we might be uh, some sort of spiritual brothers or something. So I flipped houses for 6 years and and I, I didn't have disdain for wholesalers. I more didn't know exactly what they were or didn't understand how that process worked at all. But I, I was the same way. I, I would go through contractors. I, I'm sure I don't have to talk to you about appraisers and what they can do uh, to your deals and and I just got to a point where it's like man I was doing I was bringing in so many leads and, and getting so many contracts I stopped having the capacity to, to to take all those down myself too and had to make a choice and and I'm the same way I flipped houses for years I love the wholesaling model I'm, I'm a wholesaler now I mean we still do some strategic flips when it makes tons of sense and I can't really argue my way out of it but I don't set out to do any flips anymore. And I absolutely love the wholesaling model. And I'm almost like I could do a, a whole show like without even taking a breath on my frustration with people and the way they look at wholesalers because you know, with all the mailing you do, the money you spend every month to say that we don't have any skin in the game or you know it's a kind of a hacky thing it's like no w- there's a lot of time and money and effort spent to generate these leads and get these contracts and frankly in my market there's kind of this stigma that you know wholesalers only deserve a couple thousand dollars like they're not doing anything so if you take more than a few thousand dollars out of the deal you know you're just being unethical or you know you're being a bad guy I'm like no if I if I can negotiate if my if my guys or my people can negotiate these prices these contracts down super low and I know what you want to make in the deal and you you're you're getting what you want what I make is really none of your business because if the market goes up when they're rehabbing this thing and the rehabber makes more or the or the the ability to they, they have ability to price it higher than they anticipated, what are they going to do? They're gonna they're gonna price it as high as they can, right? They're gonna get the most out of it. So on the front end, I do the same thing, right? If I can sell a house for a hundred thousand dollars to a rehabber and he's making good money doing that, if I negotiate it and I got it for ninety five, I guess that's I make five. But if I got it for fifty, guess what I'm going to make? I'm going to make 50. So that's just the way it is, right? We're going to, we're going to, it's a business on the front end too. And a lot of people don't give wholesalers that the credit that they're due. So that's my, that's my two and a half minute rant but I've got an hour-long rant that I could go into <laughs> well we'll just leave it at that exactly but I completely agree <laughs> exactly so that's cool so okay so you're doing you're doing rehabs now you're more into wholesaling but you are going toward the track uh development first of all before we get into the track stuff because I'm, I'm interested in that I really have no knowledge no experience and I don't know if I've even talked to anybody who's really doing that but as far as the wholesaling goes I'm always curious what is your what's your business look like how do you have people on your team that help you are you a one-man band how, how does that look
0: oh I mean there are times when um, you know I had wish that I didn't have and it was really the contractors you know those kinds of, of uh, problems that you have with trying to maintain systems and that kind of thing and I guess it comes down to what's highest and best use and what do you enjoy I don't enjoy rehabbing but I really enjoy marketing and I enjoy um, having a team a professional team so I've got um in my office some five or six people we have a couple people on the phones um one person bookkeeping and uh, we're running mail out all of my mail is done in-house so we bought this really huge printer to do all of this stuff um so we're doing all of that in-house so we can control it better but uh yeah i mean we we have a team and we're growing we're we're mailing in dallas now Ah, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth area, and we're we're about to start in Florida. So, I mean, we're we're going to be growing that team and putting more boots on the ground, and you know, just having a lot of fun, man. I mean, at at the end of the day, I'm I'm living what I had hoped to live seven years ago. You yeah, know? That, that's and, awesome. Um, it, it, it's very humbling to, to do this
1: and, and you know, be able to, to say this is my job every day. Absolutely. I feel the exact same way. I Sometimes it, you get in the grind and it's like it, it's a lot of work and there's, there's stuff involved that it's kind of stressful. But ultimately, would I trade it for a nine to five? Heck no, man, I'm working for myself. I'm, I'm doing great. Everything's going good. Now, I'm curious, you're going into the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, market. I, I'm not in that market, obviously, but... Um, I hear that's insanely competitive. Why did you choose that market?
0: Well, I've actually got a partner in Dallas-Fort Worth. Oh. And so he he's there on the ground. He's boots on the ground. And they keep popping up in the top 10 markets in the U.S. There's a lot of equity to be purchased there. And uh, there's some really good uh, wholesalers out there. So, I mean, I, I kind of feel like if we can go up there and, and, and compete with them, we can go anywhere. So it's it's kind of to test our systems and what we're doing. But, uh, I mean, it was just kind of the next logical step in, in what we're
1: doing. Nice. Nice. Yeah, it, you're right. If you can compete there, you can compete anywhere because I hear it is very competitive. And, and it's, you know, it's, there's a lot of competition for every every deal you get. But you're right. If you can go there and your system works and you're making money there, then for sure you can go into any any market and, and dominate it or, or do very well. So that's that's cool. So I understand you got the marketing front end, people answering phones. Um, do you have people going out and getting contracts, or are you doing that? And at the end of the day, when you get the contract and you're selling it, you know, as a wholesaling that, do you have someone who handles that, or how much? How much of a, I guess are you involved in day to day? Is is what I'm wondering.
0: So it really depends on the deal. So if if it's a deal that we're buying subject to, or it's a deal that we're going to get owner financing on, which we do quite a bit, um, then. I have my main acquisitions guy, and he's fantastic, really great at what he does. And people really like him. I, I have to say they like him more than me. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. if I can, like he is such a personal, personable kind of guy and they really like him. So I'm going to send him to those. If it's a deal that needs a lot of cash or it's a deal where it's kind of marginal or we just for some reason feel like my personality type might be better, then I'll go to that if I need to. But it it's really doesn't happen that often. Um, what I'm doing more is overseeing everything. I really like to be in the call room and listen to the calls. And so we're making a, a decision as to whether to go to that appointment while they're on the phone. And so overhearing that and, and managing everything, is kind of my day to day.
1: Okay. So you're pretty busy. I, I know what that eight to 10 deals a month or more Model kind of looks like, and there's, I mean, even on the back end, just what we call dispositions, or the the, the salesperson who's selling it to the to the flippers or, or the landlords. That's a busy job, right? Taking calls and, and marketing this stuff out to try to sell it as a, as a wholesale deal. That's a lot of work. Are you handling that end of it also?
0: You know, it, it's kind of a, there's twenty balls in the air, and, and there's a, a handful of people to catch them all, and, and we all just kind of try to jump in and do what we can. Um, I do help out with that. But I mean, yeah, honestly, we run into the same problem that you've had of, you know, they want to know how much we're making and they're, they're really concerned about that when really my opinion, they should be concerned about whether the price works for them or not, but, um, yeah, so we're we're all the time buying, selling. I mean, I, we're not very rigid in our roles here, so we're all
1: just trying to help and, and make it happen. Okay, very cool, man. Very cool. So I mentioned in the in the intro there the the sub two wraps. Can can you explain to the people listening what a sub two wrap is? It almost, it sounds like something you get it like you know at Jimmy John's or something. But what's a sub yeah, two it's a wrap? Yeah,
0: sandwich. Exactly. It's, <laughs> a, it's the best sandwich in real estate. No, so. Uh, but first, I guess we'll have to explain subject two. So, subject two, when we're buying a house that has a mortgage, and just for easy numbers, let's say the house is worth a hundred, and they owe eighty, but they're going to be behind on payments or whatever. That, that motivated seller is just done. Then we set up to take over payments on that eighty thousand, and then we will sell the house with owner financing. So, like, let's just say we sell the house for hundred and ten thousand dollars with ten thousand down we would get a $10,000 down payment and then the wrap is a second mortgage that's all inclusive of the first so you know we would have a from the buyer to us a $100,000 note with an $80,000 underlying mortgage and we would have 20,000 in note equity that spits off cash flow per month so it's kind of a hybrid between um, it's the note business, really. but it for people that like cash flow, um, it it creates cash flow per month so that you know we can continue marketing and all of that. Um, and i I'm really not a rental guy, so i I really like the note business better than rentals gotcha
1: okay cool that's a that's a very cool model actually um that i have actually definitely heard of before but for people listening it, I, what that does is is basically like you said you're not in the rental business you're you're just holding notes right so how much of those uh rental uh tenant problems do you have to deal with?
0: well, i mean we are Basically the bank. Yeah. So if my heating and air goes out, I don't call Bank of America. You know, I exactly. I call the,
1: the Heating and Air Guy. Exactly. And that's so kinda what there's that's no kind of, tenants and toilets. <laughs> that's kind of what I was yeah. trying to lead you so, into saying, right? There's there's no problems that you don't deal with those all those little tenant, you know, drama problems or leaky faucets and toilets going out, but you still get the cash flow. So it's a very very cool model for sure. I, I, I totally agree with you. Absolutely. That's awesome. Okay. So you're doing that. I get it. You're doing the wholesaling. I totally get that. I'm a wholesaler. The the land the the track development. H- how did you get interested in that, and where do you see yourself being in that in that role in the next few years?
0: Right. So for me, um, I really like houses, and you know, it's this flipping business and wholesaling that has made me a successful person. But I'm also looking at what's the next step. So for me, it's larger assets and Uh, I have a mentor that he said his biggest mistake that he's made in his career was not moving up to larger assets quickly enough. So, you know, if we can buy equity in houses in some of the top real estate markets in the country, then we can buy equity in land the same way, and then also force equity through excavation. So whenever I talk about track land development, we're buying a raw piece of land. We're cutting a road, putting in utilities, and creating buildable lots. So we're in a, a major shortage in, in Middle Tennessee for lots right now. That's just kind of the next step that I like for a few reasons, but but one of them being you have a good excavator. You don't have to manage, like, a crew of, of contractors and that kind of thing. Um, it is really cash-intensive, uh, lane development is, but it's not time-intensive. So it allows me to do my business with houses and then also do these larger deals, but at the same time, without really having a a whole lot of a a time crunch between it, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it makes total sense. What I'm wondering is, are you just developing the land or are you actually putting the houses up as well? Or are you just, you're putting the land, you're getting the land ready and then do you solicit builders to come and how does that work?
0: Yeah, so it really depends. I've got two right now, one of which um, I have been working on for maybe six months and I just got an offer on it. It's a 13 lot subdivision, and I just got an offer that was maybe three percent off of full price, and we're going to counter that one uh, at full price. But um, basically, you know, we're not building houses. Um, I enjoy the land development side, uh, and we're putting the utilities in, cutting the road, and and selling lots to a builder, and. In this market, I mean, builders are coming to us asking for lots. I mean, it's almost like we get to pick what builder we want to build the houses. I mean, I I have four people right now that are are seriously wanting to take this entire development down, and and I'm going to have to pick, like, which one do I feel is the best fit for what we're trying to do. And it's important to me because what I really love about land development and and building also in, in a smaller way, but... 500 years from now, people are going to be looking at this development that I developed, and it's really, in a big way, creating communities, you know. So, putting my name on it and saying that I did this, I want it to be a fantastic product, and part of that is, you know, controlling who the builder is. So, uh, we're going in there and doing that, but, I mean, in this market with lots… There's no shortage on builders that need good lots.
1: A lot of times in this podcast, I say this sometimes when I'm interviewing people. The interview turns into me asking questions that I'm interested in just because I don't know the subject matter. So it gets a little self-serving. But So two questions that, that come to mind for me. How did you learn how to identify areas that would be good track development for builders? Like, You can buy land anywhere. It doesn't mean somebody wants to build... A a, a subdivision or build a, you know, a track development in that area. So how do you know the locations at work or are you just going to places that are no brainers? Like I know this is a hot area, boom, Um, that. And then how do you know how to price these, these lots or this land, this development? How did you learn that pricing structure?
0: Sure. So to, to talk about where we're trying to focus, I mean, it really has to be places where, you know, the area very well. You know, I I might buy a house in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm definitely not buying any land there right now for track development because I just don't know it that well there. And it's very much a local local thing. I mean, even to the point, you know, a development that's allowed in one county or city might not be allowed in a a separate county or city and, and vice versa. So we want areas where there's a population increase or influx. We want an area where the schools are rated very, very well, because that's where families are going to want to move to. Um, But we also look for little anomalies in the market. So, you know, one of which being baby boomers want a quality product, but they don't want uh, bedrooms up or they don't want um, a lot of lot size and that kind of thing. So it it really just depends on the market. Now, as far as pricing, um, I learned most of this whenever I got my real estate license back in 05. The builder developer that I worked for, he actually opened up a new section in his subdivision. So I kind of learned a lot of this from him. I mean, pricing, the more lots you have, the the less absorption you're going to have in the market. You know, I can't sell uh, 100 lots at $85,000 here. I can sell 20 lots at 85000 because the market can absorb that much more easily. So we just kind of have to see what's needed in the market, what's the days on market per price range in new construction. And then we can say, well, this is undersaturated this is where we're going to go for what we're going to go for with this development. And then this development over here is going to be a different product. You know? So it, it, I feel like I kind of avoided the question, but I guess the big answer is it depends.
1: No, no, you didn't avoid it. And I know sometimes that's just frankly the answer. It depends. I I get that. So a couple follow-up questions. So when you sell this, this, this development to a builder, are they buying like all the lots? And if they can't sell the houses, that's kind of on them. Like, are you out once they buy this development? Are you like out of that deal and you just move on to the next one? Or do you somehow remain in that and share in the risk of whether or not these houses are selling or whether or not they lose money or any of that?
0: Right. So when we're selling lots, we're practically out. Now, on every lot that I sell, I do take a uh, first right of refusal on that, subdu- on that lot because what I don't want to happen is a builder comes in and buys 20 lots and then sells those lots to a builder that I don't want in my development. So I have the first right to buy them back. And that's really my only attachment Uh, at that point. Once all my lots are sold, that, that builder buys the house or buys the lot, builds the house, and and it's their risk and reward on what happens with that house.
1: Okay, and how often do builders buy up all the lots, one builder, or is it typically you're, you're having to sell these lot by lot, or is it more of a package deal typically?
0: Well, what you don't want in a development, and let's say a development's 50 lots in one section, you don't want 50 builders each buying one lot, because undoubtedly you'll have a builder that, you know, maybe they get into a cash crunch and they're dropping price and that hurts your comps, and that hurts everyone else. So you want a group of builders that are strong. You want a group of builders that have a comparable product or a complementary product. And you want builders that kind of get along. And you can have builders that are great builders, but they keep a terrible job site. And it makes your subdivision look bad. So you want you know people with a good reputation also because you're kind of married to these people. You know, if you're talking about a hundred lot development in three phases, because you you can't, there's not a, enough absorption in the market to do it all in one, or it's too capital intensive to go in and develop three or four million bucks worth. Um, You know, you have these builders in there in section one that set comps, they set precedent, they set everything for section two and three. So you really want the right people in section one. And then, you know, if, if, there's a problem in section three, you can kind of handle that. If there's a problem in section one, that's a real problem. So sure, um, you, you really want the right people in there.
1: Okay. And then on the front end, when you're buying this land, when you're getting ready to like, you're evaluating, okay, I found this prop, this, this sectional land, I think I want to, to put an offer in to have it developed. Is it a situation where you can almost buy it at At retail because the markups and the business is so good? Or is there a lot of hard negotiating on the front end? Do you have to go... I mean, I guess what I'm saying is if you look at 100 lots, or if you look at 10 lots, let's say, are like 9 of them never going to work because the price is just way too high? Is it like real estate that way where most deals are not a good deal. You have to just find those diamonds in the rough. Or is it easy to find the land and get that front end going and then a little bit tougher on the back end? You know what I'm saying? Is it is it a real competitive negotiation when you're buying the land, I guess?
0: So, the, the, and again, the answer is it depends. So if, because we're looking at more factors than just the price, I mean, the, the price of the land is almost secondary to the cost to develop. So we can have a, a really cheap, quote unquote, piece of land as far as a sales price, but it's all rock and it's going to cost us like double to develop and excavate out because, you know, we have to blast through the rock and all of that. That's something that we have a lot of in middle Tennessee, you know, so that is the price of the land is secondary to um, the cost to develop. So, you know, we can buy really cheap land um, and make that work. Maybe, but we would much rather pay more for the land and have an easy excavation. So um, to, to answer the question, we can absolutely pay appraised value and make it work. But through the marketing machine that we have, I mean, we're not finding that that's really necessary. Um, but I would almost rather have good terms on, on the deal at, than the price. So in other words, you know, I would rather pay if it's worth a million bucks, I'd rather pay a million And get um, owner financing on it at a low rate or have a takedown schedule on a big track or, you know, have an option schedule, something like that, then try to, you know, get a 10% off or 20% off discount, which wouldn't work in houses anyway, unless it's a really great term deal. You know, we can force equity through the excavation in this.
1: No, that makes total sense, man. That's awesome. I appreciate that insight. That's good, good stuff. Stuff I've never even heard because I'm I'm just not in that world. But listen, you've you've done. You're doing wholesaling. You've done rehabbing. You know, you're doing some basically note stuff, like you said, track development. You have had a lot of success up to this point in your career. If you could start completely over from scratch, right? Knowing what you know, but maybe not having all the resources and, and maybe the money that you have available to you, how would you start? If you were new and you were, or if you were just advising someone who had, you know, had, had, had your knowledge at their disposal, how would you tell them to start investing? What, what would be your, your takeaways from everything that you've done so far?
0: It's easy to talk about success now, but for years, it was not this way for me. So what I would say is start where you are. You know, a lot of people, and it begins with mindset. So a lot of people have the mindset of, I don't have any time. I don't have any money. I don't know how to talk to people. I don't know where to start. Well, when I started, I didn't have any time. I didn't have any money. I didn't know where to start. And I needed education, believe me, okay, because I did not know what I was doing. And if you can kind of change the mindset from, I don't know where to start to, I'm going to start where I am. And from, um, I don't have any money to I have enough money to run this ad or to begin my marketing machine. Everything else would take care of itself, but you have to have action. And action is based on belief. You know, doubt cramps energy. So if you can have a belief system where if you have a vision, like, look, at the end of the day, if you have a vision, you can accomplish that if you continue to move forward forward to that, you know, and you have to get started. Start where you are learn about the niche that is interesting to you. If you're a rental guy and you like rentals, learn how to buy sub two. If you want to flip, you need to learn how to, to negotiate and learn how to buy sub two and learn how to buy on terms. You know, everything else will take care of itself. If you just begin, you don't have to see the entire road just around the curve. If I could tell you anything, like you have to get started. You start where you
1: are. Nice. I love it. You're like dovetailing right into my just start you know, motto. That's awesome. Um, Did you say doubt cramps energy? Is that what you said? that's right that's cool I've never heard that I wrote it down as you were saying it I was to make sure I got it right doubt cramps energy I love that I've never heard that in my life but I love that one that's a good one man yeah I totally agree with everything you said obviously I mean it's it's rare, it's rare that I get someone on my podcast who has had success like you're having who gives advice to new people that I that I don't agree with right so I, I know you know what you're talking about and everything you said is is fantastic advice so if you're getting started like you said man just don't worry about what you don't have and what you you don't know and the time you don't have. Just, just start from where you are. Exactly. That's all you can do, right? I mean, it's kind of an obvious thing, but then some people don't even... They don't realize it. They just say, well, that guy has a lot of time or that guy has a lot of money or that lady knows a lot of people and she has a lot of contacts. I don't have any of that, so I can't do this. Totally not true. You just have to start where you are, right? The road the journey of a 1,000 miles, start with the first step kind of a thing. Just take that first step and and start your process and, and you'll get there. So what is next for you? I know you're doing land track development. That's something that you're actually into right now. What is on the horizon for you out there in the next 3 to 5 years? Where do you see your business? Where do you see yourself? I don't even know how old of a guy you, you are. Um, I'm assuming relatively young. But where do you see yourself being in the next you know half dozen years?
0: Yeah, so I, I'm 30 years old and um, having so much fun with what I'm doing. But I'm always looking at what is next. And for a little while, I really wasn't sure what that is. Um, I do feel like we're in a position in real estate to where um, the sky's the limit. And so I feel like I'm going to be maybe in 10 or 12 different markets and states as far as the marketing and buying that way. Uh, that's on the house side. Uh, on land development side, uh, I'm, I am I really feel like I'm going to stick to Middle Tennessee because it's just what I know. And, and it's not to where um, the, in my position, three or four land developments is all I really have the ability to do anyway. So, you know, I can absolutely do that in Middle Tennessee. So I'm going to stick there with that. Um, I'm kind of toying with the idea of uh, maybe uh, uh, some hotel or, you know, that kind of investment and and kind of building up a cash flow base, because it's not something that I have an interest in residential rentals, but I do have an interest in in commercial rentals. So maybe go on that side also. Um, But uh, who knows? I mean, that's kind of the plan right now. We'll see where it takes us. And, you know, but right now we're focused on the day to day and, you know, every day it's, it's still the same. We're starting where we are.
1: Yeah, that that's awesome, man. It's just it's cool to hear what people's mind, like where their mind is at with with their development of themselves and their business. Because when you start out, it's like, man, if I could just you know flip my first house, that would be great. Or if I could just wholesale my first house, or whatever it is. But once you get going and you get a little bit of moment, momentum and you have some success and you start your your mind starts like opening up to holy cow, there's just a lot of possibilities in real estate. Like you said, the sky's the limit. You can do anything. Land development. I mean, new new builds wholesaling, it's all out there. And once you sort of understand a section of this... It's fairly easy to take some of that knowledge and apply it to something else. Learn what you have to learn there, and then just kind of blossom out from that point. I mean, did you ever think you'd be talking about land track development, hotels, apartment building, you know, all these kind of things when you were trying to get your first your first deal done? I mean, it's just amazing where this can go if you just open up your mind to that, right? So that's uh, that's awesome, man. I I just want to say we've talked about a lot on this call. I, I know, like I said, you know, we had a little back and forth trying to get this going. Um, and I appreciate you sticking with it and and making time for me. You're a busy guy. You run a very successful business. So I appreciate that. I appreciate your time and, and all you you know, your openness and and willing to share what's going on in your business. Right. That's very cool of you, man. Thanks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've had so much fun and, and maybe we can do this again sometime.
1: Yeah, I'd love to do that. I'd love to stay in touch and uh, and kind of keep tabs on where you're going because I, I think what you're doing is very cool and, and it's interesting to me too. So yeah, man, thanks. I, I appreciate it very much. Good luck to you in, in all your future endeavors. And again, thanks for doing this and, and thanks for uh, you know talking to people and, and helping out. I, I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thanks again. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Guys, before we go, one quick thought. One thing that I've learned in real estate over the last few years, and it's a really a recent discovery for me, is I am struggling and I have struggled over the years with keeping track of my books for my business, right? It's a less one of the less sexy aspects of real estate and it's nothing that you ever see, you know, talked about or the gurus don't really talk about it, but doing your books properly will make your life so much better at the end of the year and at tax season. It's not something like I said that people talk about a lot because it's not exciting, it doesn't get people excited, but I can tell you what Is the opposite of getting excited is being completely miserable. And I know that in the past, I have been miserable at tax time because I didn't know where to start. I was sort of like kind of halfway getting things to my accountant, and it was a real disaster. So if you want to avoid all of that. Headache, you need to hire a bookkeeper. And I am using the best. I am using a company that I actually personally trained them to understand this business and to learn and know how to keep the books properly for real estate investors. I sort of trained them in real estate and they applied that to the books so that. My bookkeeping is completely hands off. They do everything. They get everything ready for the account at the end of the year, and you just basically hand over the information. It's so easy. They're, they my 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 bookkeepers like pay contractors and give me reports on my business, the status, a PL, a balance sheet. They can run reports and tell you exactly where you are all the time, and. Keep track of all the money going in and out. Guys, these guys are the best. I highly suggest that you check them out. If you go to REIBooksonline.com, you can go and see what they're about. You, you can get in touch with them and, and talk to them and find out if, if it's a good fit for you. But if you go to REI Books online.com you can get a hold of them there and guys you'll be glad you did because like i said it's not one of the more sexy things to talk about in real estate but it is one of the most overlooked and recklessly handled area of real estate that i've i've seen in all my years so check them out and i think you'll be very happy that you did okay until next time if investing in real estate is your dream there's only one way you can make it a reality just start
0: yeah.